episode 17. Welcome to the podcast, Life of Awesome. My name is Saul Blinkoff. I'm a husband, father of four, and director-producer who works for some of the top studios in Hollywood, including Disney, DreamWorks, and Netflix. My goal? Simple. I want to live the best life I possibly can, and I want the same for you. I travel the world talking about life, and if there's one thing I've learned, every single person on the planet wants the exact same thing. We don't want a life of good. We don't want a life of great. We want a life of awesome. I really want to thank you for being here today listening. I realize there are so many podcasts out there, and I really appreciate you giving me the most valuable thing that you have, your time. If you like the podcast, please hit the subscribe button, give us a rating, a review, and of course, share it with your family and friends. That said, let's get into it. Years ago, when I became a director at Disney, my wife and I took our daughter, who must have been just under a year at the time, to see Disney on Ice. And my wife had gotten some tickets through somebody she knew at Disney, because my wife used to be an associate producer at Disney. And she got us tickets in row one, like amazing seats. After the weekend, I came into work Monday morning and had a meeting with about, I don't know, 12 or 15 other people in a big conference room. And you know what happens Monday morning? After a weekend, everybody's making small talk. They're talking about their weekend. What'd you do this weekend? And all of a sudden, the big boss walks in, the executive that ran our entire department. And she walks in for this meeting. Everyone silences. And she sits at the end of the long table and looks at me with a look I will never forget. And in front of everyone, singles me out and says to me, Saul, where were you yesterday? with a tone like I had done something wrong. And I said, oh, I went to see Finding Nemo on Ice with my wife and daughter. Then she looks to me and says, how'd you get those seats? I was like, "Uh, my wife knew someone and she got them. And and she goes, yeah, well, you know what? I was also at Finding Nemo on Ice. And I said, oh, I, I, I didn't see you there. She cuts me off, goes, yeah, I was sitting about 10 rows behind you. I was pretty upset that you had better seats than me. She said that to me in front of the entire conference room. And then she continued and said, and when I went home, I called the guy that got me the seats and he assured me that my seats were actually better than yours because I could see more of the ice. I remember sitting there dumbfounded. I was in shock. I couldn't even believe what she was saying. Rather than say, hey, I saw you at Finding Nemo on Ice. Did you have a good time with your daughter? She was sitting 10 rows behind me with her son, a little boy at the time. And she was so frustrated that I had better seats than her that she went back, called the guy that got her those seats, and he had to reassure her that her seats were better than mine. And then she comes into work Monday to tell me that? Are you kidding me? And I wanted to ask her, did you have a good time with your son or didn't you? Because if you sat there stewing and upset that I had better seats than you, then what could anybody tell you after that would give you a better experience? You weren't at the show anymore. See, I imagined her sitting there 10 seats behind me, frustrated, probably upset the whole time, staring at the back of my head. The truth is, there were thousands of people behind her who had worse seats than she did. She didn't appreciate and focus on where she was. She only focused on where she wasn't. And she had to tell me about it. Jealousy is one of the worst character traits a person can have. 
Most people are jealous of other people and the other people don't even know about it. Jealousy is so terrible because it makes the person who's jealous bitter. Wise sages once taught that jealousy is one of the three attributes which take one out of this world, meaning it destroys a person's life. It's because a person can become so consumed with jealousy that it can actually cause a person to commit a crime. It's just like in the movie Toy Story. What is the leader of the toys? He's Andy's favorite toy, but who shows up? Buzz Lightyear. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. And after Buzz pushes his button and his electric voice comes out and says, Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. Oh. Hey, Woody's got something like that. His is a pool strike. Only, only it sounds like a car ran over it. Oh, yeah, but not like this one. This is a quality sound system. Probably all copper wiring, huh? Woody begins to see that the other toys become enthralled with Buzz. And then Buzz pushes another button and his wings pop out. And the toys are like, Oh, impressive wingspan. Very good. Oh, what? What? These are plastic. And Woody starts to doubt himself as Andy's favorite toy. Hey, a laser. How come you don't have a laser, Woody? It's not a laser. It's It's a little light bulb that blinks. What's with him? Laser envy. How many of us go through life... With laser envy. With envy. So eventually, what does Woody decide to do? Woody decides to get rid of Buzz. If Buzz reminds me of how bad I feel about myself, let me get rid of him. What does he do? Tries to kill the competition. Where do you think Pixar got that from? (laughs) They got that from the Bible. From the story of the first recorded jealousy in humanity, Cain and Abel. You see, Cain gets an idea to give an offering or a gift to God. Abel sees this. It's a good idea. He's inspired to also give a gift to God. But God ultimately only accepts the gift from Abel and not from Cain. You see, Cain was giving his gift because he was focused on what he would receive in return. When Abel just wanted to give, he wasn't thinking of himself. After Cain was distraught and filled with jealousy, God tells Cain, all you need to do is work on improving yourself. He didn't give from the right place, so work on yourself. But rather than do the work on himself, which takes real effort, Cain tragically kills his own brother. You see, so often in life, we look around and we see people achieving greatness and we dream of killing off the competition so we can become number one, at least in our own mind. Or we'll spend our time thinking about the flaws in those great people. Oh, this person was so successful with this. Yeah, but they got divorced. See, that's how they don't have anything. We love to see people fall. Thinking back when I was a kid playing Little League baseball, I remember feeling worse when I tied with another team than when I won. Why couldn't I feel good if I tied? I gave my best. They gave their best. Okay. Because the only way I can feel good about myself is if I'm better than you. In 1962, two of Hollywood's greatest leading ladies, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, start opposite each other in the psychological thriller, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? After the movie comes out, there was this bitter feud between these two actresses. Betty Davis was nominated for the Best Actress Oscar, and Joan Crawford wasn't. But rather than just accept that she wasn't nominated, apparently Joan Crawford lobbied to the Academy against Betty Davis winning. Even though if her co-star, Betty Davis, did win the Oscar, it probably would have brought more people to the box office and made Joan Crawford much more money. But that wasn't what she wanted. She didn't want money. She didn't want Betty Davis to get on that stage and win an Oscar when she herself wasn't even nominated. She tried to kill the competition. And she apparently went to all the nominees 
and convince them not to show up. And she offered to accept their award on their behalf, which is exactly what happened when Anne Bancroft won. Joan Crawford took the stage and accepted on her behalf. Accepting for Anne Bancroft, Miss Joan Crawford. Betty Davis sat in a theater stewing. Many years later, towards the end of her life, Betty Davis was being interviewed and asked about this feud that she had with Joan Crawford, who, by the way, had been dead for like 10 years already. The last person I want to ask you about is, is the lady with whom, in, in many minds, you are forever linked. That's Joan Crawford. She was so jealous. She was a fool, my dear. We had great percentage. If I had won that Oscar, we'd have made a million more dollars on the film. That's what always happens. And then she was asked, were you hurt by that? And she responds. I was furious because that would have made me the first person with three. And as I, you know, I always have to be first as an Aries. And I should have had it. You see, the truth came out. Here you're seeing a woman who's in her 80s, maybe 90s, at the end of her life. You know what she probably should have said? You know what? When I was younger, I was so focused on Oscars and awards being number one. And now I realize those things don't even matter. But at the end of her life, she still has resentment, bitterness. At the end of her life, she still just wanted to be number one. But a person that drives to be number one will never be satiated. They will never be happy because there will always be someone better. So often in life, we define ourselves based on how we compare to others rather than comparing ourselves to our own potential. You know, most people are exerting themselves every day at work. Every day at work, they're looking for honor, elevation. I want to get promoted. I want to make more money. If you ask most people, what are you doing all this for? Most people are doing it because they just want to be better than people around them. And you know, most of that want, that craving really stems from us wanting to get attention when we were children, just wanting to stand out. Maybe you had a sibling. Maybe there was that sibling rivalry. You wanted mommy and daddy's attention more. Well, now that mommy and daddy is your boss at work. Or maybe that mommy and daddy now is the entire world. I just want people around me to love me and respect me. Why can't we just look in the mirror and love and respect ourselves? Why can't we just look in the mirror and know that who we are right now is enough and set our own goals for working on what really counts, who I am as a person, working on my character traits. And you ever notice who we're most envious of? The people that are closest to us. Those are the ones we feel the most in competition with. Look, I'm a filmmaker. When Steven Spielberg wins an Oscar, does it bother me? No, because he's not my contemporary. But what if my roommate in college does? What if someone who started at the same company I did the first day, and that person excels much faster than me? How does that make me feel? We go back a while. We went to the academy together. We were commissioned together. We did our tours in Vietnam together. But I've been promoted up through the chain with greater speed and success than you have. Now, if that's a source of tension or embarrassment for you. See, that's the stuff that bothers us. When we have people close to us who, from our perspective, achieve greater stature than us. Why? Because it makes me look at myself and go, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I achieve that? And if you look around your life, whenever you do have success, who are the people that you can really share that with? And when people that you know have success, are you really happy for them? There's a quote from an unknown source. It says, they want to see you do good, but never better than them. What a quote. They want to see you do good, but not better than them. Because if you do better than them, you're a threat to them. 
Because jealousy really stems from our own fears of inadequacy, the fear that we're not good enough. But you see, when we recognize that fear, we have an opportunity to turn that into motivation to work on ourselves and grow. In the 80s, there was a film that won the Oscar for Best Picture, Amadeus. And it tells the story of one of the greatest composers who ever lived, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. But interestingly enough, it's told from the perspective of a lesser known composer, Antonio Salieri, played by F. Murray Abraham, who actually won that Best Actor Oscar for that role. Well, this mediocre composer Salieri can't understand why God would give such a great gift to Mozart instead of him. And Salieri renounces God and vows to take revenge on him by destroying Mozart. And there's a scene in that movie where he sits with a a minister and the minister wants him to confess, let it go. And Salieri tells the minister that Mozart's been plaguing him, haunting him his whole life. I can't think of a time when I didn't know his name. I was still playing childish games when he was playing music for kings and emperors, even the Pope in Rome. I admit I was jealous when I heard the tales they told about him. And as envious as he is of Mozart, he's more upset at God. You know, in the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment is, you shall not covet. What does it mean? It means don't want what your neighbor has. It's interesting though. It's not telling you not to do something. It's telling you not to think something. We shouldn't wake up every day thinking and being consumed by what others have. We have to control our thoughts. It's telling us don't want what your neighbor has. Focus on you. We need to focus on ourselves, what our own purpose is. We need to know that the perception we may have of others, by the way, isn't even true necessarily. You don't know what goes on in another person's family. Just because you see pictures on Facebook, somebody goes to Disneyland, they stand in front of the castle with their perfect family. You know, I used to work at Disney. Even before I was an animator, my first job, I sold ice cream at Disney. So working at Disney World, walking through those parks every day, do you know how many times I saw people taking photos in front of that castle? Everybody has that same dream. When I get to Disney World, I got to get that picture of me and my wife and kids in front of that castle. And most people look at those pictures and they're like, yeah, perfect family. But you know what you're not seeing? The threats that the parents had to do to get their kids to stand there. Because right when they walk in the park, all they want to do is go on those rides and those roller coasters. And the parents are like, if you don't stand there for that picture, I'm not buying you Mickey ears. I'm not getting you ice cream, nothing. And you see these kids fighting with their parents and crying and they smile for the picture. And then they're fighting and crying again. We don't know what goes on in people's lives. Everybody has challenges in life. But look at your life and think about it. You ever been friends with someone that tries to do everything that you do, tries to copy you or mimic you? Oprah Winfrey said, quote, you can't be friends with someone who wants your life. And believe me, if you are friends with someone like that, they don't want to see you succeed. Bette Midler had a quote. She said, the worst part of success is trying to find someone who is happy for you. Because most people, they don't care when things great happen for a person. You know who your real friends are? The ones that you can really share your good news with. You know, over the years, I've thought a lot about that moment when I sat in that Disney boardroom. And I thought about how that executive's jealousy must have consumed her. Then I started thinking about myself. What about my jealousy? We all feel it. You ever have to stand online for something for like a really long time? Like you're waiting at the Apple store for a new iPhone that just got released or tickets to an event. Let's say you get there and there's 50 people in front of you. Right when you get to that line, you're like, oh my gosh, there's 50 people in front of me. I'm going to have to wait like a half hour, maybe an hour. You're at the back of the line. But then what happens? 
people start filling in behind you. All of a sudden, you got 10 people behind you, 20, 30, 50, 100 behind you. Now you don't feel so bad. Now you actually feel pretty good. There's a thousand people behind me. Look at me. I'm right up to the front. There's only 50 in front of me. Nothing changed from where you are to the front. The thing that makes waiting tolerable is if I know that I'm doing better than someone behind me. Why is that? Because so often in life, we constantly allow our position compared to others dictate how we feel about ourselves. The truth is that most of us at one time or another do feel the negative character trait of envy or jealousy. You see someone in your block that has a bigger house than you, a newer car. The list goes on. And a great tool when you see someone have something they're accomplishing that would make you jealous, you know what you do? Imagine that person is your friend. Imagine they're you. There's a beautiful story told by an incredible rabbi named Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz. And he tells this true story how he lives in this apartment with his kids, big family, and across the street, there's all this construction being done. And every day they're hearing the construction and the walls are coming down and lumber's coming in and all this stuff. And the kids are complaining, dad, it's so loud over there. We have to put up with this. And he takes his kids around him and he says to his kids, you know what you should do? Just imagine that those people that live across the street are your family. Just imagine it's your family. Imagine it's people you really, really love. That's what it means when it says, love your neighbor like yourself. Watch what happens. And sure enough, the next day, construction's coming. Kids are looking outside the window every day. Wow, dad, look, they're getting this done today. They're getting that done today. What changed? It's the same noise. But when we see people as our adversaries, when we see them as being against us, we resent them for success. When we see them as close to us, then we embrace their success and we're happy for them. And we are happier people. One of my all-time favorite stories was written in the 1800s by Alexander Dumas. He wrote Three Musketeers, but even more famous is his incredible work called The Count of Monte Cristo. Wow. What a great story. If you ever have like a year, read it. It's awesome. And they've made many movie adaptations of it. Uh, My favorite is the one that came out in 2002. That's the year my wife, Marion, and I got married, took our honeymoon, driving down the coast of California. By the way, we've shown this film to our kids, you know, probably like, probably for like kids over 13. Fantastic family movie. You know, there's so few great movies to sit down as a family. So if you're listening, great uh, Saturday night family movie. Cuddle on a couch, big blanket, popcorn. There's one scene near the ocean, they're on the rocks. Eh, You should cover their eyes for that scene. Other than that, totally good movie. And this story is about a guy named Edmund Dantes. And he's, you know, 20-something-year-old, starting his life, comes from meager means. You know, grew up kind of poor, close relationship with his father, strong values. He has integrity, honesty. His moral compass is pointed the right way. And he has a best friend named Fernand. And Fernand grew up, he's played by Guy Pierce, great actor. Fernand grew up very wealthy. And these two were best friends. And there's a moment where Edmund's best friend, Fernand, is trying to convince Edmund's girlfriend, Mercedes, to date him. Not such a loyal friend, is he? And Mercedes turns him down flat. I know what you want, Fernand. You do? Remember when we were little kids and Edmund got that whistle for his birthday and you got a pony? Well, you were so mad that Edmund was happier with his whistle than you were with your pony. And I'm not going to be your next whistle. This kind of envy is so unbelievable. What is he envious of? Is he really envious that Edmund was happy? No. He's really disappointed in himself that he doesn't have an appreciation for life. And because of one thing after another, Edmund Dantes 
gets promoted to captain. Like something that should have taken like 10 years, he gets promoted to captain. It's literally like you work in the mailroom and the next minute you're vice president or CEO of the company. Like crazy. And he goes over and tells his best friend, Fernand. And Fernand is like stunned. Can't believe it. Wow. Edmund then goes and tells the love of his life, this beautiful woman, Mercedes. And this is his true love. They have plans to get married and everything's going great for Edmund until that night there's a knock at the door. These policemen come in. They try to arrest him. He runs away. He's being chased. He takes refuge in his best friend's house and he goes to his best friend, Fernand, hide me. And Fernand starts to hide him. And then the police come and Fernand, his best friend, gives him up. He gives him up to the police. The two of them start sword fighting, but Fernand is such a better sword fighter. Fernand starts to win. Edmund's in trouble. He's cornered. The police are gaining. And Edmund looks up to Fernand and in desperation says, why? How could you do this to me? And his answer tells us so much about human nature. Why? In God's name, why? Because you're the son of a clerk. And I'm not supposed to want to be you. They eventually take him and they bring him to a prison, the Chateau d'If. This is like the Shawshank Redemption. It's on a, a rock formation in the middle of the ocean, miles away from anybody. A terrible place. Hell on earth. And Edmund is doomed to stay there the rest of his life. No captain, no Mercedes, over. And why? Because he was happier with his whistle than Fernand was with his pony. And at the end of the day... Is Fernand any happier? Is he any happier in a world without Edmund? Is Salieri happier in a world without Mozart? We find ourselves not happy with what we have because we're constantly comparing to other people. We got to know that an envious person does not gain anything for himself or cause any loss to the one he envies. There's nothing good about envying someone. It doesn't give us anything more, and it doesn't take away anything from the other person. At the end of the day, when we envy another person, we lose out. Because when we envy someone else, we start to lose the pleasure in the things that we have. That Disney executive could have sat in that Finding Nemo on Ice show and been like, you know what, I'm sitting here with my son, 10 rows back, having the time of my life. But no, she made a choice. She made a choice to be miserable. All she needed to do was sit there, take a moment, and have gratitude. Realize how lucky she was to be alive. How lucky she was to have a child, to be a mother. Do you know how many women there are out there that can't get pregnant, who dream about being a mother? They would beg to be sitting in the last row of Finding Nemo on Ice, holding the hand of their child. We forget what we have. You know what we need to do? We need to be more grateful. Because you see, a little gratitude can go a long way. It can not only reduce our feelings of jealousy, but it can ultimately bring us more joy. It'll make us happier. You might not have everything you want. Guess what? Most of us don't, but you probably have at least some of what you want. Appreciating the positive things in our lives can help us realize that while our lives may not be perfect, we've still probably got some pretty good things going for us. Inspirational quote of the week. This quote comes from American cultural anthropologist, author, and speaker, Margaret Mead. She used to go over to her children, take them by the hands, and she said this, quote, Always remember, you are created unique and special, just like everyone else. Boom. This may be one of my favorite quotes ever. It's such an incredible quote. It's one that I wish I knew in high school. 
Remember when you were in high school and you just tried to fit in with everybody? But deep down, people don't want to really be like everyone. They want to be accepted by being unique. But as we get older, we think being unique means how do I compare it to other people? And we're striving to be unique. But don't ever make the mistake in thinking that being unique means better than anyone else. All unique means is me realizing that I have a unique identity, which ultimately means that I have a unique mission, a unique purpose. And any moments that we spend focused on the success of other people and that we let it get to us and that we get jealous and envious, all we're doing is bringing ourselves misery and bitterness. There's no pleasure that we get for being jealous. You know, envy can actually be a good thing because the one thing in life that you do want to envy in other people is wisdom. If you see somebody that has wisdom, if you see a person that has really impeccable character traits, someone that's very humble, someone that has incredible integrity, and you see those qualities in someone, that's what you should want in life. Look around for people's great qualities and try to make those your own. And if we do that and focus on our own path in life, then we will truly have a life of awesome. Thank you so much for being here today listening. I really appreciate you spending your time with me. Please, again, subscribe, like us, rate us, review us, share us with your family and friends. And I truly hope that each and every one of you has an incredible life and not just a life that's good and not just a life that's great, but that each and every one of you has a life of awesome. I'll have what she's having.